Hello brothers and sisters, Brother John here and I want to go ahead and address some rather hard to understand verses that can be found in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and also in Mark chapter 13. For example, where it says immediately after the tribulation of those days and where it says when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, and also, and when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. These verses have made many believe that the rapture happens at the middle of the seven-year Great Tribulation, or even some believe that the rapture happens at the very end of the Great Tribulation. So I just want to go ahead and address these verses here. Here's what some of these folks are missing. The Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is the key to understanding the order of events that take place when they take place and where they take place and I say this because the purpose of Luke's gospel is to write things in chronological order unlike the other gospels that had different purposes for example John's gospel says that the purpose of his gospel was so that you could believe in the name of the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name and each gospel had their purpose and they were reaching certain groups more than others. Luke's gospel was written so that we can have the order of things, the chronological order. And this is the reason why he starts from the very beginning with the birth of John the Baptist, etc. For example, we see at the very beginning of Luke, in Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4, it says, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theopolis, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou has been instructed. So here we see from the very start of Luke's gospel the purpose of the reason why Luke is writing this. So that way we can have a chronological order of the things that Jesus spoke of. Unlike the other Gospels that are not in chronological order, they're all over the place. And they misplace where things were said. And they just, it's kind of just like here a little, there a little, and you know, maybe this was said here, maybe this was said here. That wasn't the purpose of those Gospels. The purpose of those Gospels were not to give an orderly account, like Luke just explained what he was doing with his Gospel. For an example, Luke chapter 17 is the key. Luke 17 verses 20 through 37 speaks of the coming of the Son of Man. And this is the exact same coming that is spoken of in Matthew chapter 24 and Mark 13, as well as in parts of Luke 21. But there's a huge difference here. There is no mention of the phrase after the tribulation of those days, 
when you shall see the abomination of desolation, or when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Okay, and that's a huge difference. Also, when Luke spoke of the coming of the Son of Man, he did not speak this on the Mount of Olives at all. He was speaking to the Pharisees about the coming of the kingdom in Luke chapter 17. Then he started to talk to his disciples about the coming of the Son of Man, and he likened it to the days of Noah and Lot. And there was absolutely no mention of the abomination of desolation, Jerusalem surrounded with armies, or after the tribulation of those days. It just comes like the days of Noah, he said. It's going to be business as usual. Folks are going to be buying, selling, marrying, giving in marriage. They're going to be planting, building. They're going to be eating and drinking. And that day will take many by surprise. They did not know anything until the day that Lot left Sodom and it rained down fire and brimstone. And this is another confirmation that the rapture happens at the sixth seal. Because you see the church in heaven in the seventh chapter, and that's still the sixth seal. Then the seventh seal is open, which is a transition to the seven trumpets. The first angel sounds, and what happens? It rains down fire mingled with blood. Just like Jesus said, the same day that Lot left Sodom, it rained down fire. That means that the same day that the church is raptured, it rains down fire. And you notice that the first five seals have no mention of it raining down fire from heaven. As a matter of fact, the first five seals are not even supernatural, folks. All they are are wars, famines, pestilences, being killed by animals, Christians being martyred for their faith. This is not God's supernatural wrath. All of this has been going on for thousands of years. A quarter of the world's population has experienced death, plague, famine, wars for thousands of years now. Okay, some folks are even very narrow-minded and have been taught a lot of these false doctrines from false teachers regarding the end times. And, and a lot of these are good brothers and sisters too. They preach a good gospel. They know that we are saved by faith through Jesus Christ alone. But they butcher end times prophecy badly. And they think that one-fourth of the world's population has to drop dead at the very exact same time in order for the fourth seal to count. Which is just completely ridiculous. It's very narrow-minded. And that's not even what the scriptures say. Revelation chapter 6 verses 7 through 8 is the fourth seal. And this is what it says. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over a fourth part of the earth, to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with beast of the earth. Notice it doesn't say anything about one-fourth of the world population dropping dead at the same time. Where are they getting this from? It, they're getting this from their own imagination. It says, Power was given unto them over a fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. Does it say anywhere here that they die at the same exact time? 
or that they die within one year or two years or three years. There isn't any time frame mentioned here at all. Does it say that one-fourth of men were killed? No. All it says is that they have power to kill. And that is huge in rightly dividing the word of God. If you look at Revelation chapter 9 verse 18, which is the sixth trumpet, notice the difference here. Okay, folks, it says, By these three was a third part of men killed by the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouth. Do you see that it mentions that one-third of the men were killed? But it does not say that about the fourth seal. The fourth seal, they were given power to kill. And it's not even a supernatural power. Okay, it's just war, pestilence, famine, and animals. There's a big difference between the seals that are not supernatural and the seven trumpets that are supernatural. Okay, the seven trumpets are God's supernatural wrath. Okay, and if you notice the fourth seal, it doesn't say that one-fourth of the world's population were killed. It just says that they were given power to kill, and there's no time frame. Okay, so this could have happened during the span of thousands of years. And as we know, people have been getting killed by famine, hunger, pestilences now for thousands of years. And if you were to calculate the number of people that have died from plagues, from famines, from war, from abortions, from, from sicknesses, from all of these seals, you would calculate the number and it would just be a number that's astounding. And you would be shocked to actually know the true number. Now when folks think of war, all they think of is World War I, World War II, and that's it. But there's been wars non-stop, folks, since for thousands of years now that you don't even know of. And even millions and millions of people have been killed throughout the thousands and thousands of years that you have no idea of unless you research and study all of the wars that took place over the thousands of years. You can even Google it and you'll see the numbers and you'll be astounded. There's been many wars, wars that you don't even know of. As a matter of fact, if you were to calculate the number of deaths that were caused by seals 2, 3, and 4, and 5, persecution, affliction, for Christian martyrs, famine, and pestilences, and war, the number would be in the billions of deaths that have happened over the thousands of years. Also in the fourth seal, folks see the rider on the horse that is called Death and Hal followed with him. And they all get scared, right? But the rider is called death because the rider symbolizes pestilence, sickness, hence the sickly pale color. And hell follows because when folks that are not saved die, what do you think happens? If you die and you aren't saved, what happens? Death and hell follows. We Christians should not fear death or hell. Because we have the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus holds the keys to hell and death. So clearly, the fourth seal is for the enemies of God and not for the church. Hence, death and hell only follow those that are not saved. Sorry, I digress. I want to get back to Luke and Luke chapter 17. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is I'm going to read from Luke starting at verse 20. Okay, and it says, 
And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo, here, or Lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here, or see there? Go not after them, nor follow them. For as lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth onto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. Right here is very important, okay? Notice that a lot of the verses here that Luke is speaking of are the same exact verses that you find in Matthew chapter 24. The only difference is that this is not taking place on the Mount of Olives, and this is not the Olivet Discourse. If you could see, Luke is writing things in order, and the order of things is that this all came up from the Pharisees' question about the coming of the kingdom. So all of this means that when Jesus spoke of the coming of the Son of Man, he did not speak about the coming of the Son of Man after the tribulation of those days, or even when Jerusalem was surrounded with armies, or when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel. He brought this up out of nowhere, and none of those things are even mentioned once. So just again, the coming of the Son of Man doesn't come after Daniel's 70th week, which what some people call the tribulation, which is incorrect, it's the great tribulation, or when Jerusalem is surrounded with armies, because that happens at the middle of Daniel's 70th week, but it's just a regular day when folks are doing their business as usual. Hence the reason why he said it's going to be like the days of Noah and Lot. Then how do we harmonize the other gospel accounts? It's easy. Jesus is writing to a different group of people in the other gospel accounts, but at the same time, it's a dual prophecy. For example, in Matthew chapter 24, the group that he is trying to reach to are the tribulation saints, the Jews. And we know this because when he warns them, he tells the Jews of Judea, he says to flee to the mountains. Do, do Gentiles live in Judea? Does any of the church live in Judea? Perhaps maybe a few Jews that are saved live there, but the majority of folks from the church do not live in Judea. So it's pretty clear that Jesus is warning people that are Jews, okay? And he's not giving this warning to us. Also, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, who will see Jerusalem surrounded by armies? The Jews are going to see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Why? Because they live there. And no, Jesus was not talking about seeing Jerusalem on television, on TV, or the internet. In fact, it's highly likely that there's going to be no TV or internet during Daniel's 70th week. And that is due to the fact that all of the events that are going to be taking place during Daniel's 70th week are going to be so catastrophic, they're going to be so devastating, that it's highly likely that there will be no internet at all. When Jesus comes, there might be a polar flip, okay? And this is recorded in prophecy in Amos chapter 8 verse 9. And also the heavens are going to depart like a scroll. And this is going to cause a massive EMP that would wipe out the entire power grid, okay? The massive fires also that are going to be taking place during Daniel's 70th week are going to cause chaos. The hailstones of fire and blood 
that are just the first trumpet that are going to be cast down to the earth could completely destroy the power grid and all of the satellites. And the drought that are going to be happening during Daniel's 70th week means that there's going to be no water for all of these dams to power electricity to cities. I believe that nobody is going to have power or internet during Daniel's 70th week. It's going to be hell on earth. Do you really think that people are just going to be on Facebook and watching YouTube videos during Daniel's 70th week? No. It's going to be the worst time ever. Literal hell on earth, folks. People are going to be starving. There's going to be fires everywhere. There's going to be no green grass. There's going to be no rain. There's going to be this... There's going to be the worst drought ever in the history of mankind. The waters are going to be blood and animals are going to be dying. It's going to be horrific. People are not just going to be at home on their internet or watching TV. That's like business as usual. And, and Daniel's 70th week is not going to be usual. But back to Luke. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Okay, so notice Jesus likens this time to a time that is going to take unbelievers by surprise. Again, it's going to be business as usual. And this is proof that the rapture happens before Daniel's 70th week. Not at the middle and not at the end because nothing is going to be business as usual during Daniel's 70th week. I'm telling you, this is going to be a week of God's supernatural wrath. It's going to be the worst time ever, folks. And nothing will be business as usual. And it goes on to say, Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he that shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. So I want you all to notice here that many of these verses, what is being said here, is just a repeat of what is being said in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. But here, Luke is giving the real order of events here, okay? And, and the real order is that when Jesus spoke of the coming of the Son of Man, this is a different account. And there is no prerequisite, meaning that Jerusalem does not have to be surrounded by armies, nor are you going to see the abomination of desolation. And it goes on to say, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed, one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. One shall be taken, the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, 
Thither will the eagles be gathered. This is the rapture, folks. There's a lot of false teachers and deceivers out there that say the angels are taking the wicked away at the end of Daniel's 70th week. That is false. That is completely false, and that's deception. Jesus says that they're being gathered to the body. Whose body? It's Jesus' body. Read the context, folks. He's talking about the coming of the Son of Man. He's talking about the rapture when he comes for us. And how do we know this? Because he likens it to the days of Lot and to the days of Noah, which all happened before the wrath comes. Okay, this is not talking about Armageddon. There's no mention of any battle going on. There's no mention of any armies. There's no mention of any white horses. This is talking about the rapture. Don't be deceived. Luke chapter 17 is clearly talking about the rapture that happens before Daniel's 70th week. Luke chapter 21, Matthew 24, and Mark 13 are dual prophecies that have to do with two groups of people. There's parts that are written for us, the church, and then there's also parts that are written to the Jews, and we have to rightly divide the word. And you could do that by taking the pieces from Luke chapter 17, and what you see in Luke 17 is for us. That's the church. That's talking about the coming of the Son of Man and the rapture. But when you see the other things, like when he speaks of the abomination of desolation and Jerusalem surrounded by armies, those are the warnings to the Jews. He's talking to a different group. You have to rightly divide the word. So again, a little bit is for us, like the birth pangs, etc. Those are things that the church will experience and they're for us. You have to rightly divide the word. But when he speaks of the things that are taking place in Jerusalem, he's speaking directly to the Jews, the tribulation saints. And what I would highly suggest is that everybody studies Luke chapter 17. That's the key. Luke 17 is our blessed hope. That is for the church. And when you read Matthew 24 again, and when you read Luke 21 and Mark 13, take into account Luke chapter 17 and remember what Luke said in chapter 17 because that is for the church. That's how you rightly divide the word of God. Okay, and remember that some parts are for the Jews, for the tribulation saints, and that not everything is written for us, the church. For example, the birth pangs. Again, those, those are mentioned in Matthew chapter 24. Those are the first five seals. That is for us, the church, to have to endure, and that is the tribulation that Jesus said that we would have in this world. But there is a difference between tribulation and great tribulation. And Daniel's 70th week is a week of great tribulation, folks. Just one thing that I want to add is that Matthew 24, when they're talking about the sign of the coming of the Son of Man, this is a dual prophecy. And I say this because there is a darkening of the sun and the moon two times in the book of Revelation. The first time that it happens is for the rapture that's at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week and this is the time when the moon turns to blood but there's a second time that the sun and the moon are going to be darkened as well as the stars and this occurs at the very end of Daniel's 70th week during the bowls 
it is when the beast's kingdom is going to be turned into darkness and this is when Jesus destroys the beast what happens is there's going to be a supernatural darkness the sun is going to turn to darkness the moon is not going to give her light and all of the stars of the constellation are not going to give their light and this is the time when Jesus returns to destroy the beast so the coming of the son of man is a dual prophecy meaning that meaning that there are going to be two comings and one of the comings is meant for the church and that is when the sun turns to darkness the moon turns to blood and the stars fall to the earth the next coming is a warning to the tribulation saints the jews because the jews are going to be wondering when jesus is going to return for them after the rapture so jesus put in a dual prophecy when it comes to the coming of the son of man one of them was for the rapture and the only difference is with the rapture the moon turns to blood and the stars fall to the earth the sign for the Jews when Jesus is going to return at Armageddon is that the sun turns to darkness, the moon does not give her light, and the stars and the constellations don't give their light as well. The stars are not going to shine. And that's the difference, is that one of them is the moon's turning to blood and the stars are falling, and for the Jews, it is the stars are not going to shine. The stars are not falling. The stars are just not shining. And the moon is not turning to blood, the moon is just darkened. So there are two separate signs for two separate groups of people. One sign is for the rapture, the next sign is for the battle of Armageddon, and it's a sign for the Jews. However, there is a slight difference, and the difference is the first time that he comes is for the rapture, and that happens when the moon turns to blood. This is according to Joel chapter 2 verse 31 as well as in the book of Revelation and in Acts chapter 2. And the second time that he comes at the Battle of Armageddon, the moon doesn't turn to blood, but the moon turns to darkness. And there's also a difference with the stars. When he comes at the rapture, the stars fall onto the earth. When he comes at the Battle of Armageddon, the stars do not give their light. So there is a slight difference. And this is the reason why we know that it's a dual prophecy. Here's the thing, is that you have to study the Word of God for yourself. Without all of the false interpretations, without all of the false timelines about Daniel's 70th week. Because the truth is, so many good brothers and sisters have been indoctrinated with false doctrine regarding these end times. And what I think people need to do is just... You have to completely forget about all of the false doctrine that you learned and just reread everything without all of the false interpretations and read it as though you are a small child reading it for the first time, okay? Without all of these false interpretations because I tell you that when a child reads, they will understand. Why? Because they have not yet been indoctrinated with all these false doctrines from men. They're coming at it from a different perspective. This is the first time that they're hearing it. And if you were to read Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5 to a child, they wouldn't see the rapture there. They wouldn't. Folks see that because that's what they've been taught. They've been taught these interpretations. However, if you were to read Matthew chapter 24, Mark 13, Luke 17, you could see the rapture there because it's there it, and it states it clearly 
And this is one of the reasons why we must be like small children, because the Bible is simple. It's not something that is complicated. It's not difficult. We just have to read it through the eyes of a small child. And when you're reading Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21 and Luke 17, you could see the coming of the Son of Man. But what has man done? They have corrupted these scriptures and called it things that they're not. And they put in false interpretations here and there. It is the spirit that reveals the deep and secret and hidden things. Okay, and what you have to really rely on is you have to let the Bible interpret itself and not just go by a false interpretation from man because man has given so many false interpretations. For example, the rider on the white horse, and so many are dogmatic about this, is the Antichrist. The Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. And Irenaeus, who was a early church leader, he was a disciple of Polycarp, who was the disciple of the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation. And according to Irenaeus, he said that the rider on the white horse is the Lord. Now John, the one who is the author of the book of Revelation, taught everything he knew to Polycarp, who then taught everything to Irenaeus. So when Irenaeus says that the rider on the white horse is the Lord, you must take heed here, because Irenaeus was like a spiritual grandson to the apostle John, the author of the book of Revelation. And I think that I would stick to his teaching, which highly likely came from the Apostle John himself, rather than the interpretation of men that don't even know what they're talking about. I tell you, I have researched this matter extensively, and there is so much scripture that supports that Jesus is the writer on the white horse, that the Lord is the writer. The evidence is in the Old Testament. And if you don't know the Old Testament scripture, then you will not see it. But one thing I know for certain is that I would not call the writer on the white horse the Antichrist when Irenaeus himself, the early church leader with connections and knowledge from the writer of the, from the, writer of the book of Revelation says otherwise. Because I strongly believe that this teaching did not come from him, but came from John the Apostle. Okay, because... John taught everything to Polycarp, and Polycarp taught everything to Irenaeus. They were disciples of each other. There is more scriptural evidence that points to the writer being Jesus Christ than the Antichrist. But of course, they have to ignore all of the other scriptural evidence because that doesn't fit with their doctrine. If the writer in the horse is Jesus Christ, then that means that we're going to have to endure the birth pangs of the first five seals. And no, no, they don't want to experience anything like that. Anything that's negative, they're going to have, they, you know, let's just cast that out. Let's cast that to the side. We don't experience that. They don't want the birth pangs, okay? They, so what do they do? They interpret everything so that the church is in heaven in the fourth chapter. That fixes all the problems. Everything will just be roses and butterflies, and there's going to be no birth pangs, there's going to be no tribulation. Even though Jesus said that in this world, 
you will have tribulation. But let's just go ahead and ignore that. Oh, yeah, let's also ignore the sign of his coming that he gave us, too. And you know what? We'll just say that that's the sign for Armageddon. Yeah. And you know, you know what? Also, the, you know, the blood moon that Joel gave us, the sign that he told the prophets, also that Peter even mentioned, too, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the book of Revelation, also, let's just ignore that. And let's throw that as another sign for Armageddon, too. Uh, whatever whatever doesn't fit their doctrine, uh, throw it into the Armageddon bag. Do you see how ridiculous that is? Do you think that John has been crying for 2,000 years in heaven that nobody's been worthy to open the seals? Of course not. These seals are not supernatural. They're all the things that have been happening since the time that Cain killed Abel. These seals are just birth pangs that are leading up to the birth which happens at the sixth seal. It's not a coincidence, folks, that the sixth seal is the exact same sign that Jesus told us to watch for, the sign of our redemption, the sign in the sun, the moon, and the stars. The sun is darkened, the moon turns to blood, and the stars fall to the earth. And it's not a coincidence that the dragon casts those stars to the earth before the woman gives birth. But you want to go ahead and ignore all that and throw that into the Armageddon bag, right? This is why the rapture can only happen during a blood moon. But so many folks have been deceived by these false doctrines about end times prophecy that they just completely butcher, that they have been robbed of the sign of his coming. And that's the saddest part, is that they are in darkness. They do not know the day of his coming because they have no sign. They, they think that he can come at any time completely ignoring what all of the prophecies say and the sign of his coming. If he can come at any time, then why did he give us a sign? Throw it in the Armageddon bag. And why did Peter repeat this very sign on the day of Pentecost when he was filled with the Holy Spirit? And why did John tell us that the moon turns to blood in the book of Revelation? Because it is the sign that we are supposed to be watching for. The sign that starts Daniel's 70th week. If we didn't have a sign to watch for, we would be in darkness and that day would take us unaware. But we do have the sign of his coming. So that day would not overtake us as a thief. We are not the children of darkness. We are the children of the light and the children of the day. And that day will not take us unaware. Okay, because we have the sign of his coming. If we didn't, we would be in utter darkness like the rest of the world. The only way that we can know the hour of his coming, like Revelation chapter 3 verse 3 implies that we can know if we are watching, is to have the sign of his coming. And the sign is the blood moon. There are three witnesses to this very scripture in Acts chapter 2 verses 20 through 21, in Revelation chapter 6 verses 12 through 17, and in Joel chapter 2 verses 31 through 32. This very sign is witnessed in both the New Testament and the Old Testament. That's how important this very sign is. And it's also witnessed in the book of Revelation, which is the most important end times book. And we know that where there are two or more witnesses, this makes the testimony true. Folks, there are three witnesses to the blood moon occurring in the end times before the great and terrible day of the Lord begins. 
folks, don't ignore this end times prophecy that God gave us. This is the sign to know when the rapture is going to happen. Don't be deceived. The rapture can only happen according to that which was written in prophecy. The day of the Lord, which is Daniel's 70th week, cannot happen until the blood moon rapture happens first. November 8th is the next blood moon. That means it is the next high watch date. That blood moon is happening on the true eve of Sukkot. The rapture must happen during a blood moon according to prophecy, not after. That wouldn't be a sign because we would be in darkness. We wouldn't know how much longer. It's not stated. And when the moon turns to blood, we're told to look up because our redemption is here. That's the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. We're supposed to look up because he's coming now. We're not supposed to be looking up for days or weeks on end. That doesn't make any sense. We're told to look up when that moon turns to blood. And I know that there has been many blood moons. This is all true. But one of these blood moons will be the blood moon. And what I mean by the blood moon, I'm talking about the Joel blood moon, the Acts blood moon, the Revelation blood moon, that blood moon. Okay, one of these will be it, and we know that because we are nearing 2,000 years since the cross. And that is the key to knowing when the rapture is near, according to Hosea's two-day prophecy. The key is that after 2,000 years, we're going to be living in his sight. We're going to be living in God's sight. And we are coming close to that 2,000-year mark since Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Anyways, folks, that's all for now. I love all of my brothers and sisters out there. God bless you all and Maranatha. Mm -hmm.